0: All right. Uh, good morning, Crossroads. It is great to see about 10 of you. Uh, those gathered here for worship are here to serve you. We miss totally seeing your faces in these chairs around here um, and are looking forward, hopeful for kind of the end of this in a near future where we can be gathered together again and um, Many of you maybe have seen a short video that we posted a few uh, just a couple days ago, but we've been praying and discerning and talking about what it's gonna look like to reopen, uh, to relaunch, to reengage our body uh, here in space and in the spaces around Grand Rapids in West Michigan, and really have landed on this exciting opportunity uh, that we're looking forward to the month of June to uh, number one, encourage our house churches to be gathered again, We have dozens of house churches around West Michigan, and then also to launch these gathering at home groups. And so we know there's a lot of questions about what it looks like to reopen, Uh, received a couple of emails about the changes to Governor Whitmer's order. And all I can say is that as we've prayed and discerned as a staff, a leadership team and an elder board, this is what we sense God is leading us into. And so that's what we're going to pursue uh, and be excited about. So we're looking forward to that. These gathering at home groups are going to be gatherings of 10 to 12 people. And the only thing I'll ask you right now is just to be praying about whether or not you might open your home, uh, whether or not you might host one of those groups. And so these are just going to be for the month of June. So it's temporary, four weeks, uh, hopefully. And um, it'll just look like inviting a group of people into your home, watching the gathering together and then just being together in fellowship uh, and growing together in Christ. So I just want to encourage you to step into that. The final piece that uh, kind of came up in our conversation was uh, that I want to bring to your attention is this drive-through communion today. And uh, as a team, we're really excited about the opportunity to just see a whole bunch of you uh, come through the parking lot. We're going to be out here directing traffic, coming around the building, praying with you, greeting you, and uh, handing communion out uh, as you drive through the parking lot. Uh, There will be a communion moment within the gathering. Uh, I do want to let you know that. As Dan closes, he will uh, lead you to do communion in your home, so you can certainly choose to do that, but for those of you that choose to brave a little bit of rain out there, um, we look forward to seeing you. And so uh, now I just want to transition to a call of worship with Bill and Diane Treat. Thank you.
1: Good morning, Crossroads. We are Bill and Diane Treat. We live and work among ethnic Albanians in a tiny Eastern European country where they are currently celebrating Ramadan. During this time of fasting and introspection, we pray that our friends here will encounter Jesus and find true peace and salvation. As teachers, we strive to offer quality education while developing meaningful relationships within our community with the hope of sharing the gospel.
2: Jesus calls us to worship from the moment we submit our lives to him. As we prepare to focus on the Lord together as a body and a family, let us consider these truths. Oswald Chambers reminds us that we can worship even in the mundane. He wrote, the son of God reveals himself in me and I serve him in the ordinary ways of life, out of devotion to him.
1: And in Ecclesiastes, Solomon challenges us with these words. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. Then later in Psalm 29, he instructs us to ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness.
2: We'd like to close by praying these words from Nehemiah. You alone are the Lord, Sovereign God. You made the heavens, even the highest heavens, and all their starry host, the earth and all that is on it, the seas and all that is in them. You give life to everything, and the multitudes of heaven worship you. Amen.
1: Amen. Goodbye, friends. Hope to see you soon.
3: Before I spoke a word, You were singing over me, and you've been so, so good to me, thank you, Lord, before I took a breath, you breathed your I couldn't earn it. I don't deserve it. Still, you give yourself away. Holy overwhelming, never ending. Fell no word. Don't deserve it. till you give yourself away and hold oh, the overwhelming, never-ending, reckless love of God? We worship you, Lord. You've shown us what you. Love. Shadow. time no shadow there's no shadow you won't light up mountain you won't climb up coming after me there's no wall you won't kick down lie you won't Oh, don't I don't deserve, deserve it. Still you give yourself away. Oh, the overwhelming never-ending wreck this love of God is. Oh, you've shown us love. powerless to do anything. My father's house in, in my heart. ¡Aquí
4: posture to take this morning and surrender before you Jesus as, as praise arises from our hearts you hear and you look down and you just you see surrender as your word is opened in every home And it's spoken out, it finds finds a landing place in our surrendered hearts this morning, Jesus. Thank you. So I just pray for that very thing, God, as, as Dan is preaching this morning, that your word would go forth. Minister to each one of us, Lord. Build us up. Build up your church in this time, Lord, by the power of your Holy Spirit and according to your word, Lord. love you it's in your name Jesus we
5: pray amen amen Danny thanks Will you guys don't know this but we have these lights here to help you see better but my glasses are here to help me see better and the lights making an unreal glare on my glasses it's fine it doesn't have to I don't have to see this time in the service, I'd like to invite you to consider the gospel of Jesus Christ as is revealed to us in the scriptures. Uh, As a community, we've been studying the gospel of John. And so I invite you to turn to the gospel of John, and we're starting a new chapter, chapter 6. I was thinking about this morning, the the whole book's called the gospels. There's these four books called the gospels. And why do we... You know, we, don't, we often don't see the whole thing as the gospels, but it's a word that was borrowed from their culture uh, that was usually in reference to a Caesar, conquering king and the ruler. And, and his story of what he had just recently done is the gospel, it's the good news. And the, the good news is in all of these stories about Jesus because he reveals to us who God is. I don't know if you ever get into any of the uh, prayers that they would have prayed at the time of Jesus or even in modern uh, Judaism now. A lot of them, you'll notice, start off with the same line. It says, Baruch ata Adonai Eloheinu Melech HaOlam Blessed are you, O Lord. That last line, Melech HaOlam, King of the Universe. And it is good to declare that God is the king of the universe, but the question that would come naturally after that is, is, what kind of king is he? It's not enough to just say, you are the king. What kind of king? Is it good news if he is our king? And the type of king that we see throughout the gospels is very good news. It is very good for us to read this, to memorize this, to put this in our hearts, and to uh, actually Orient our lives around this because there's so much bad news in our world right now uh, the good new- that, that's challenging the good news of the King of our, un- our King, the King of the universe. John wrote this gospel so that we might believe that Jesus is the Son of God. And all of these stories are here to uh, encourage us to see who it is that we're following, who it is that we're loyal to, who it is that we uh, say is our King. And so I wonder if even right now during this time like you're feeling like your belief and your faith in Jesus is a little bit frail or fragile. And I want to encourage you today through these stories to uh, and I hope and pray that your belief and your faith get strengthened. He also has in mind I think that this message would not just sit inside of you but that it would go from you to the people that are in your sphere of influence. So I wanted to invite you. I I was thinking about my dad, who is a preacher, and he, over the years, has developed his own natural liturgy sort of uh, based on his personality. And there's something he always did, and I'm sure he still does to this day. He asked everybody in the church to, by showing of hands, uh, raise your hand for certain things. And one of the things he asked every time was, is anybody praying for somebody who doesn't know Jesus right now? And, And he would have them raise their hand for... And I know that I'm not able to see any of your hands if you were to raise your hand for that. But what I want you to do in light of that is to write in the chat or write in the comment section. If you are praying for someone, their first name. The first name of somebody who you're specifically praying for who does not trust Jesus. And you have them on your heart. And your community wants to see those names. There are people in this church that want to come alongside of you. And show the rest of us that we are a church that doesn't exist for ourselves. We are a church of intercession. A church who are passionate about the gospel going out into this city. I want to see thousands of names on this list. I want to see thousands of people in this city put their trust into Jesus for the first time. So that this city could be a city, even though it's in a valley, set on a hill. A light shining for the rest of this state. Even now, let it be, Lord, Uh, that this city be a, a shining beacon of hope for this country, that this city be a place where people who already know it is a place for Christians, but that truly Christians are showing how much we trust Jesus and how much we know that he is the one that we can go to in our time of need. So let's see those names go up on the chat and up on the comments, and and maybe later on we can bring them into the service and pray for them. But as you see them, lift up a prayer in your heart and mind for the names that people are posting on there and come alongside of one another. Now, if you are at John chapter 6, I'll invite you to stand with me for the reading of God's Word. And if you feel weird about standing in your own living room or by yourself, then I will compromise by you closing Pinterest or whatever multitasking you might be doing, because I know that in our homes is a very distracting place sometimes. And I believe that Holy Spirit wants to speak to all of us through his word today. And so just find a way to honor that and make yourself available for him to speak as I read from the word of God. John chapter six and verse one. Sometime after this, Jesus crossed over to the far shore of the Sea of Galilee That is the Sea of Tiberias. And a great crowd of people followed him because they saw the miraculous signs he had performed on the sick. Then Jesus went up on a mountainside and sat down with his disciples. The Jewish Passover feast was near. When Jesus looked up, he saw a great crowd coming toward him. He said to Philip, where should we buy bread for these people to eat? He asked his only He asked this only to test him, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. Philip answered him, Eight months' wages would not buy enough bread for each one of these to have one bite. And Andrew speaks up. Another one of his disciples, Simon Peter's brother Andrew, said, Here's a boy with uh, five small barley loaves and two small fish, but how far will they go among so many? And Jesus said, Have the people sit down. There's plenty of grass in that place, and the men sat down, about 5,000 of them. Jesus took the loaves and gave thanks and distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. He did the same with the fish. When they had all had enough to eat, he said to his disciples, Gather the pieces that are left over. Let nothing be wasted. So they gathered them and filled 12 baskets with the pieces of uh, barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. After the people saw the miraculous sign that Jesus did, they began to say, surely this is the prophet who is to come into the world. Jesus, knowing they intended to make him king by force, withdrew again to the mountain by himself. Amen. Amen. This is a very important story. It's at least somewhere between a very important story and a very notable story. I say that by virtue of the fact that aside from the cross and the empty tomb, this is the only other story that is is in all four of the Gospels. For some reason, this was such an important story that they all decided, no matter what they chose, they all put this one in there as well as the cross and the resurrection. John has a, a narrative that he's working with as he builds this story into his book, and it's of these signs. This is the fourth sign in the Gospel of John. I don't know if you remember them all. The wedding at Cana where he turned water into wine is the first sign. And then he healed the official son in chapter four uh, from a distance. You know, he, he, he called that out from Cana all the way to Capernaum. And then we have the person who was crippled in Jerusalem by the pool uh, at the uh, pagan temple that he was sitting next to. And and, and then we have this one here, the miraculous uh, multiplication of this bread and these fish. And uh, so this, this story starts off in John's gospel, but spans 71 verses. So not only is it an important story that it's in all four gospels, but he gives 71 verses to unfolding the different layers to it. And we're going to spend a few weeks try, uh, at least trying to uh, look at all the different layers that are here. And he starts off this whole thing with the words, sometime after this. Sometime after this, that was the the drama that unfolded after the third sign, where he was um, healing that man on the Sabbath, where he gave that man permission to take up his mat and go show off and flaunt the fact that he had been healed on the Sabbath, I guess. And that created a bunch of drama with the religious leaders of Jerusalem seeing, seeing somebody break their Sabbath laws. He then goes on to say something very important that I just wanted to point out in chapter 5 where he's talking about why he's doing these signs. He says in chapter 5, in mid-30s, he says, John testified about me, and he's like a bright flame. He's like a a really uh, important person to talk about me. But this is more important than even John's testimony, are the works that I am here doing. They are telling you who I am and where I'm from. The works that the Father has given to me tell, tell you, reveal, that I am from, that he sent me. So these signs are signs that John is showing us, are ones that are here to point us towards the glory and the truth of Christ, of who he is and who he wants to be. But there is a little bit of a complication here. Other gospels have a varying amount of public ministry and private ministry. There are things where Jesus does in private and says, "Don't tell anybody about this." But so far, all of these signs in John have been in public, in front of a lot of people. There's a lot of people at the wedding. There was a crowd gathered when he, when the official came to him. There's a lot of people in Jerusalem. A lot of these uh, that John is picking out are the ones that are happening during festivals and feasts where people are all around. And what that is doing is it's actually ministering to a lot of people, but it's also creating an ability for people to be fascinated and to follow him for the wrong reasons. You can see that in verse 2. I wish that verse 2 said, and there was a great crowd of people following Jesus, dedicating their lives after him. There was a great crowd of people kneeled before Jesus saying, we want to be your disciples. Teach us your ways. We want to seek your kingdom. There was a great crowd of people who were there devoting their lives to him. But what does it say? There was a great crowd of people following him because they saw the sign. They were fascinated by this. They were fans. And I know that uh, a few weeks ago, I went into great detail to talk about the difference between a fan and a follower This is a theme that happens throughout all of these signs. And don't worry, at the end of this chapter, there is going to be a major confrontation with this specific type of person. But as uh, the weeks have gone by, I've gotten a few people talk to me about what's the difference and how do you tell if you're a fan or a follower if you're a true disciple or not. Is Jesus accepting my belief or not? And I think that one thing that comes to mind for me to tell the difference between somebody who's fascinated and somebody who is actually trying to be a disciple of Jesus is, do you see a miracle here or do you see a sign? It is a miracle. All of these are miracles. But a disciple is asking the harder question as to what is this pointing to? If you don't ask what is this pointing to, then yeah, it's just about bread. And I would love for this to just be about bread. I I think that my job would be very easy if I had stories here of free wine and free bread. There'd be so many more Christians in the world if this was the story. It's not just about bread. And if you think it is, and if you leave the things that are happening in your life that are from the hand of God and not making the connection to what that means, you're kind of like my baby. My daughter, I have a 10-month-old daughter. Her name is Penny. She is amazing. And... I love to spend time with her. I was sitting yesterday with her, and I like to point out things. I want her to to just, you know, smile and, and just be excited about life. And yesterday, our dog, Murphy, comes in the room, and I say to Penny, Penny, look, it's Murphy. And I bet you could guess what she does. When I point at the dog, look at Murphy, she looks right at my hand. She will not look at what I'm pointing at. She's just staring at my finger. The person who just looks at the miracle and not the miracle what it's pointing to is the, the difference between a fan and a follower. These are signs that are meant to point us to something. And so what is the purpose of this sign specifically? I can sum it up in one word. Where? The question that Jesus asks Philip in verse 5 and 6 as they're going back and forth about the food as a good rabbi would, he, he asks a question, but it's a test. And he wants to see where Philip's at. And he asks him, where are we going to get the bread? If we do not ask that question, it's just a miracle about bread. If we don't unleash that question on our hearts, we're not going to get to the place that John wants us to get to by the end of this chapter. Where are we going to get the bread? Where? Where? It's a very important question for you to ask yourself. When I'm hungry, when I have a need, when there's something deep down in my soul that's aching, where do I go? Where do I go to get bread? Our world needs to know the answer to that question. When they look at you, what does your life say? That the place that you go to get satisfaction. Our world is hungry. Our world is crying out, where? Where is the source of love? Where is the source of life? Where is the source of justice? Where do I go to find reconciliation with all these broken relationships and broken marriages and, and, and shattered uh, expectations? Where do I go to get healed and to get fulfilled and to be satisfied? Where? Where are we going to go to get bread Because we got options. <laughs> if there's one thing that's been consistent throughout all the ages, we've got options of where to go. All week I've been just praying this one line from, uh, it's a very famous line from the Psalms, from the Psalm of Ascent. It says, when I lift my eyes to the hills, I ask myself, where? Where does my help come from? I always like to imagine the Iron Age, you know, Israel, there's all these high places, and that's the best place in their world to put an altar and an idol. And I wonder if the writer of that psalm could see smoke, could see a flame, Asherah, Baal, all of these options for where you could get help, if you would just make your sacrifices there. But what do they say? In light of that, I can see it, where? Where? My help comes from above that. My help comes from higher that. My help comes from the Lord. They had options in the first century as well. Part of me is suspicious here of of who John's bringing into that story and why is John going out of his way to add certain details once you start seeing it, it sort of looks like John is really specifically doing some subversion here in this story. Why, For example, why in verse 1 does he go out of his way to say, sometime after this, they went to the Sea of Galilee, and for the Gentile readers here, the, the parentheses, and for, the, you know, for those of you who don't know, the Sea of Galilee is Tiber- Tiberias. You know that, right? Why in verse 4 does it say, the Jewish Passover... Why does he have to say it's a Jewish Passover feast? If I, I mean, if he's just talking to Jewish people, uh, they know it's like saying to an American, well, it's time for the American 4th of July celebration. I mean, it, you just say it's the 4th of July. Of course, there's some sort of uh, Gentile audience he's bringing in here. And then once you start looking at more and more details, you start to say, why is this gospel the only one that talks about barley? Why is this one the only one that says things like "I am the bread of life"? I, why does this say uh, "eat my flesh and drink my blood"? Nobody else is saying this stuff. Well, in the Greek pantheon, the sister of Zeus's name is Demeter. Demeter's name means the uh, Mother Earth, the goddess of the harvest, the goddess of fertility, of food. It's a very important goddess. Uh, her, her Roman name is Ceres. I, I heard once that Ceres is where the word cereal comes from, for obvious reasons. Um, they're, they're, it's hard to overstate their connection with the spiritual world and their worldview. Everything is connected to gods and pleasing the gods. And so uh, this, this is a very important god because it's the god of your food. There's even in their worldview uh, stories of how Demeter would leverage Zeus, okay? Just to give you perspective, you think Zeus, that's the the biggest God. How how could anyone have anything on Zeus? But her argument was, if you don't do what I want you to do, I will starve all of humanity, and you will not have any worshipers. That's a lot of power. And even though she's as consistent in their worldview as the season's, do not make her mad. Do not challenge. I mean, imagine you're a part of this community in this culture. That's like this is what we have to do. They they would take uh, the the barley, which is the first crop. Okay, they would make the first loaves of bread, and everybody's first loaf of bread would be uh, given to this, as a sacrifice. First crop of harvest i mean that's around the time of the passover okay and then um she was always depicted holding barley or often depicted holding holding barley during her cult practices you would do things like eat raw meat and drink blood and be washed in the blood uh ringing any bells they would take that bread to her and she was told in some of the poems about her to have living bread I think John wants to make a confrontation here where where in the culture that he's writing in the late first century in Ephesus to challenge some of the idols and the uh, worldview of the people that are reading this story. And I wonder if we would let that challenge us as well. We have maybe not an explicit uh, cult here to Ceres, but I wonder if you can hear her whisper I wonder if you can hear the temptation to do this, uh, to do live your life in a certain way, to make sure that you are going to be safe financially. I'm sure that she she will tell you things I'm you know she's she's okay with many different gods she's gonna let you worship Jesus you know she's she's all right with Jesus but as soon as Jesus starts to uh, creep in and say I want control of your finances I'm gonna I want control of your future I want you to surrender even that that control to me she's gonna say whoa 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 don't do that give them what you're supposed to but don't trust him with all of it uh, first before you pray check the stock market before you pray check your crypto Make sure you've got everything where it's supposed to be. You got to be wise. You got to be responsible. Ask yourself do I serve two masters? Jesus does not want us to arbitrarily give up our idols, it's not an ego thing with Jesus. Let me tell you something. Jesus wants to set you free from the cold, lifeless grip that the idols have your soul into. That false gods, they, they, they weigh us down and will not give you rest. They will not give you peace. They will not give you what they promise you. It's always going to be a take uh, from you. You'll always be left in fear, and they'll lead you in fear, and they'll keep you in fear for as long as they can. Jesus died. His blood was shed to set us free from the grip of idolatry. He nailed it to the cross, put him to open shame, paying your bill and setting you free so that you can have security in him, so that you can have peace in him, so that you can have the bread that leads to life and will sustain you. Ask yourself, where am I going to get bread, and is that working, or am I continually left hungry? The bread that Jesus gives, the bread that he is, is the bread that leads to life and will sustain you. I'd like to make a comment on the conversation Jesus has with uh, Philip and Andrew. Seems like they kind of both are saying the same thing, so I'll just lump them together. He says to Philip, where are we going to get bread? And Philip says, uh, you know, it would take uh, eight months, you know, of worth of money to then pay for everybody to have a mouthful. So I don't know, Jesus, where, where do you think we're going to get them? Philip, uh, Andrew must be really hungry because he's volunteering some child's lunch to the cause. Or maybe the kid offered it. I don't know. But when you're hungry, you do crazy things. I've been there. You know, Just taking stuff from the kid. And so what, what's he saying? Well, I have five loaves and two fish here. And. Uh, what is that going to do? It's not enough. They don't have enough. That's their answer. We don't have enough. And the phrase, not enough, I've noticed, kind of plagues the existence of a lot of us in the West. Ironically. Ironically. Sometimes I wake up in the morning and the first feeling I have is not enough. I did not get enough sleep. Or I cry because I didn't have enough time to do what I was supposed to do before I went to sleep. Or there's not enough hours. In the, there's not enough days. In the, there's not enough time. I don't have enough. And then once you get the thing you're trying to get, it doesn't last. It's not enough time that it lasts. It's, sta- it's not enough. That's what they say to him. It's not enough. Conditional thinking, scarcity will lead us to, my mentality will often lead us to conditional discipleship. When we bring in our fear of not having enough, we'll often try to protect ourselves by being conditional disciples. You know, when I talk about conditional discipleship, I always use the phrase, uh, if only. It's an if only type of Disciple. Only if, okay, so yeah, only if, of course, Jesus, I'll give you my uh, life if only you make sure that I am safe and unharmed. Of course, Jesus, I'll give you my sexuality if only you give me what I want in a timely manner. Of course, Jesus, I'll give you my finances. But finance, if only you pay me back. I mean, there's not unlimited. We don't have enough money here to just, uh, you know, be frivolous. If only. Of course, Jesus, I'll give you my life only if it doesn't hurt me or it doesn't look weird or doesn't make me feel uncomfortable. Bob Goff in his book, Everybody Always, Uh, one of the chapters, he has a line that I will never forget where he says that we're often limiting ourselves not by what we don't have, but what we do have and we choose not to use. You ever wonder what the right answer would have been? What Philip, if it was a test, what was the right answer? The more we orient our lives around the correct where, where Jesus is the where, where we get our bread, where we get our sustenance from, the more we will be able to see revealed in His life, revealed in who He is, that He is not an only if type of God, He is an even if. He is an even if. Even if you run out of wine, you didn't bring, I'm gonna bring you wine, even if. Even if you don't, you have only a few fish and a couple loaves of bread, I will be able to make that work. Even if you come to me and the armor doesn't fit, David, I will be with you in that battle with that stone. Throw it at the, throw it at the giant. Even if, even if you're the smallest nation and you have nothing going for you, I can use you and make you into the most resilient people of all time. Even if you're a bad speaker, Moses, that's okay because I am and I'm going to take you to where you are called to be. Are you called to be something right now in your life, in the life of your neighbors, in the life of your family, and you're being held back by only if type of mind will lead into the one who will, may, will say, even if, even if everyone else abandons you, I will not abandon you. Even if you are a rebel to me your entire life, hanging on the cross next to Jesus, and you say, remember me, I will remember you. The Right answer, Philip is to say, Jesus, I don't know where the bread's going to come from, but I know that I have the Messiah sitting in front of me. And if you say, we're going to eat, then we're going to eat. Because I read my Bible, and I saw Isaiah 55, verse 1, that said, Come to me, all who are thirsty, and I will give you something to drink without cost. I will give you the bread. I will give to you the feast. Isaiah 25, on this mountain, declares the Lord, I will make a feast for all nations. The Messiah brings the bread. We lean into the Messiah, and He will provide for us the bread because He is our bread. It's a great time for you to get your communion stuff ready. Matter of fact, I'm kind of getting carried away with this. So, is Will even in here anymore? If he's not in here, somebody get him. We'll 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 wrap this up pretty soon. What I want to do as you get your communion ready and um, and share that beautiful time with your family is I'd like to open up a time of prayer, but I want to invite you to do something with me um, where instead of standing at this time, I want to invite you to do what Jesus has everybody do in verse 10. What does it say? It says that he instructed all of them to sit down and then he gave them the food. I want you to sit down and receive the blessing. Sitting is a place of rest. Rest is a place of uh, humility. It's a defenseless p- uh, position where you're not saying, how do, how do I escape from this? You're just sitting. And let me tell you something. We're talking about Demeter. We're talking about Ceres. They will never let you sit and rest. They will never let, invite you to sit down. They will never say to you, the work is complete. The work is finished. But Jesus says to you, no, sit down and rest. And I will provide for you a blessing. I'd like to invite you to maybe even open up your hands as if he was going to put something in your hands like, uh, lo- lo- like the bread or a sandwich, whatever he made for them, and to just receive. This is the primary spot of a Christian sitting before the Lord in the rest that he provides and receiving the blessing and the gift that he gives to you. Have you received from him the bread that he promises to be for you? Tell you what, the idols in your life are never going to give, put anything in your hand. They're going to take, and they're going to cause you to be so afraid you had to close your hand and control and hold on to whatever you can. But Jesus wants you to open up your hands and just receive from him the gift that he is dying to give to you of his love and his life. The life that will sustain you, even in a tumultuous time like this. Why don't we just take a moment and pray? I'm gonna have some of the names that you guys wrote up and, and, and maybe I can pray them out. Carrie, Tony, Susie, Rick, Gloria, Mary, Rob, Cody. These are names that are coming up before our community and we, we lift them up as a kingdom of priests to you, Lord. And we say, move powerfully uh, and and and. and Reveal yourself to them this week. Justin, Ann, Kelsey, Austin. Reveal yourself to them as the living bread. Holy Spirit, do your work and convict them to help them to know, to see that they're going to continue to be hungry and they're continue to be empty without you. Becca, Jesse, Jess, Alex, Jordan. Holy Spirit. Help us to then repent from our idolatry and, our, and walk away from our, the lie uh, uh, that there is not enough to go around and to receive the eternal bread that when we eat, we'll never go hungry again. That you give so much to us that we'll be so full that there's 12 baskets worth of stuff left over for everybody else that's around us. Help us to walk in that truth, to live like that's true, and to give from what we have been filled up with uh, to our neighbors and to the people that are around us so that they can, too, experience the living bread that we experience. Where do we go? I just want to invite you at home to just pray this prayer out loud with me. Jesus, you and you alone, satisfied.
4: If you're planning to uh, take communion as a family, right now would be a great time to grab the bread and grab the juice and maybe someone can just uh, maybe take turns just serving it to each other as we sing the song.
3: There is no striving There's only rest no need to perform. There's no performance. Oh, no need for us to hide. You know us completely. Still you gave your life. Come on, just say thank you. And we thank you, Lord done it all and we rest in your completed work you overcame both death and grave and you made a way to the Father's heart there's no condemnation my debt is forgiven by the blood of
5: All right, everybody, receive the blessing. Hungry, hungry people coming to you all over the world for thousands of years and have you run out? No. You are the source, the lagos of all creation. Your arm is not too short. We, we rest in your everlasting arms. Give us this day our daily bread, but also give the bread to our soul that we're so hungry for. In this time of staying at home let us be still and rest and sit and receive from you the Lord will bless you and keep you will make his face to shine upon you favorably lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace we thank you for that something that the false gods and idols in our lives will never be able to give us any of that we thank you when we lift our eyes to the hills and ask, where does our help come from? It comes from you, you, alone. Amen. If you need prayer and you want to take communion through, uh, through your car, we're all going to be um, ready for you at 12, from 12 to 1.30 uh, if you're interested in that today. See you later.